Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and this week I caught up with Cole Patton, one of the bright stars in U.S. mountain biking and gravel. I met him at the Schwamigan 40 mountain bike race, which is the fifth race in the seven race lifetime Grand Prix, which is a season long series of the biggest gravel and mountain bike races in the country. Cole finished third in the inaugural series last year, and he currently sits in second with two more races to go. I, I actually love how we connected because just like he and I did this year, last year, his longtime girlfriend, Sevilla Blanc, won the Schwamigan race, and I introduced myself after the podium presentation, and I invited her on the show. You'll have to check out our conversation in episode 40. So it was super fun to meet Cole in the exact same way and actually in the exact same place one year later. Okay, enough of that. Let's meet Cole. Cole Patton, how are you doing today? Welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. Doing really good. Thanks for having me, Dave. It looks warm where you're at. We just met in the North Woods, eh? And uh, I know it looks warm where you at. Where are you at today? Yeah, I made it down to Auburn, Alabama, um, just kind of the next stop of my tour for uh, Marathon Mountain Bike National Championships this weekend. You got a full schedule because you just left Wisconsin and uh, hiked on down south. Uh, yeah, I 35. No, you probably veer off at 35. I don't know the way down there, but. Um, I have a kid in Austin, so I-35 is well-traveled in, in my household. Um, but uh, heading down to Alabama for Marathon Nationals, and I had to kind of laugh because it's called Marathon Nationals, so marathon yep. would be an operative word there. And you just came off of Schwamigan, and Schwamigan's like, I don't know, four miles shorter than Marathon Nationals, and Schwamigan <laughs> is the shortest race by far in the Lifetime Grand Prix. So yeah. I guess how, however we define the word marathon, uh, I know maybe, maybe that's subjective, but you looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for it. Um, I've gotten out on course the last couple of days and it's, it's going to be a really fun one, really contrasting to Schwamigan, even though it's only a couple of miles shorter, I think it'll take a lot longer because, uh, unlike Schwamigan, which is kind of long or just straight and flat, this one has about a million corners in it. We're we are just talking. It's like a, like a spaghetti noodle dropped on a table um, for for 20 miles, and we do two laps. But uh, but yeah, I'm excited. Um, it's it's going to be a good fight for the bat for the title, and uh, I'm feeling really good at this point in the season and. The more mountain bike races I can get out to these days, the better and the happier I am. So, so it's uh, it's going to be a fun stop for me. Schwamigan's flat. What flat? <laughs> yes, there's there's two inches of gravel roads. Okay, maybe more than that, but uh, man, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I it was punchier than ever. That that course is amazing. I I don't I don't mean anything by it. Um, it's it's probably the the best. Uh, it's one of those courses where you pre-ride it and you're like, uh, oh, nothing really that special. And then you race it and it's like, that was the most fun I've ever had at a bike race. Um, so, uh, yeah, I love that. It's, it's so unique, uh, in, in the way that 
they they have us on the Birkebiner Trail and then just through all the little back roads back there. Um, yeah, can't recommend that one enough. Yeah, I, I definitely can't either. My I've been going since 99 and uh, my wife and I have been doing it on tandem since 2002 and it's a great tandem course though not easy i mean that berkey is super hard because a a tandem is like a mac truck and it just (laughs) it flies downhill and on the flats but uphill it just is like throwing a brick out the back and trying to haul it up the hill but uh, it's super fun we'd love that Uh race but we said several times it was a lot of new course this year and it was very mountain bikey Mm -hmm. and and i know uh, I know you guys came in, and I, I'm going to go here now, although it will probably back up into this because it's part of the Lifetime Grand Prix, which I want to, I don't know, kind of summarize a little bit. You guys come to the finish line with 14 people. <laughs> How did that not split up? I just can't I figure know. that out because there were some parts of the trail that were absolute single track and ro- rocky and bouncy and muddy. Yeah. And... uh I like it's not like you can just sit on a wheel and follow somebody and that'll do you any good. So I just can't picture even how it came to be that 14 of you come to the line together. Yeah, it was insane. I mean, I think this year it's the most competitive that that we've ever really seen in, in at least in the Grand Prix for sure. It's just the second year. But in all of these races, everyone has just brought their A game and everyone's been preparing uh, really hard and 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 everyone kind of knows about these courses and what they're going to be like and knows what to expect and um, I don't think we ever really got a separation because although there are a lot of punches um, there's a ton of high speed uh, rollers where where you can just carry momentum and if you have uh, you know a, a few motivated dudes which we had about a hundred <laughs> um, you know there's just always <laughs> right. someone that can come up and over and and help close down those little gaps so there were only a few times where there were it, it was just brian motter actually off the front he he made a couple uh cheeky moves and he was off the front for a while but other than that it really stayed together and it was just you know we'd go super hard in the narrow sections trying to split it up and then everyone would kind of sit up or or try to recover on the gravel sections but we were we still averaged I don't know exactly, but it, it had to be close to 20 miles an hour. It was it was a super fast race, and uh, and so the the draft is is really helpful. Um, and you know when you have a big group like that, there's there's a lot of people to kind of break the wind, and everyone stayed super fresh because we're all trained for these really long races. Yeah, it probably felt like running a 5k after running marathon. Oh yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> it was so fun. <laughs> are you are you like wait? We're done. Is that it? Can we turn around and go back? I was happy to be done. I, was, I didn't feel like a corpse after the race like I do for a lot of these gravel events. So that was nice. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, I want to get a, a little more into Lifetime because I think it's super interesting. Um, and one of the things that's interesting about it is how the courses are so diverse and how do you guys prepare for that. And um, I want to get into that. But I'm also curious, like, you're obviously pretty athletic young man what why the bike how'd you end up on the bike like you could choose from all kinds of sports but and i know you you grew up skiing uh in washington and doing all sorts of other things uh fishing but how'd you end up like focusing on the bike and 
making that your career? Yeah, I mean, my parents were huge in uh, in kind of uh, supporting me and, and leading me down this path. Um, the, my my family has a sporting goods store in Washington. Shout out Arlberg Sports. Um, and yeah, it's it's a ski shop in the winter and a bike shop in the summer. And so those were like the two big sports that I grew up doing. Um, I wasn't super competitive cycling when I was younger. It was more focused on downhill ski racing. And that was kind of where uh, my sister raced and my dad was really into it. And um, we traveled a bunch doing that. And and then uh, biking was just kind of my thing. I, you know, I'd go out and ride with my dad a lot, but I could also go out by myself or ride with my friends and there was just no pressure there. Um, and, you know, that's, it's kind of funny. I ended up, that's what I ended up pursuing, but it was really just because it was all kind of self-motivated and, um, and something that I really loved and something that, uh, I could do by myself. I didn't have to get a ride to go up to the mountain or have a team to go play with. It was just, you know, it's an individual, it's a lifelong sport and, um, and I loved it. And, uh, and so, yeah, no, no looking back since then. That's pretty cool. And two questions from that. One is, what was your ski event? Uh, slalom. Yeah. Yeah. Slalom? Yeah. yeah. I was a, I was a teeny little kid, super, super light. I think I was like 90 pounds all the way to high school. So, uh, the, the downhill and GS events didn't suit me so well. No, you would have had to wear a lead backpack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. That's awesome. Well, maybe that slalom is why you're going to do well on uh, this weekend. Oh, I hope so. On that tight, twisty corner. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I actually, I've made this analogy and anybody who's listened to this podcast will be sick of me talking about this, but I think there's a real correlation between the feeling in downhill skiing and mountain biking. Like both of them, like I literally laugh out loud after a good run, uh-huh. either on the bike or skiing. Like I love them both equally. For sure. Um, do you find that? Yeah, yeah. The older I get, the more parallels I see between the two and kind of how you have to have weight transfer between cornering and um, and, and also just the, the speed factor too. It's big. Carrying momentum, uh, it, it transfers over from the skis and onto the bike and um, yeah. I think uh, my many years of downhill skiing helped helped me not be afraid of high speed on the bike. Yeah, I can see that correlation. Uh, do you still ski? You know, I haven't for two years, which is crazy because I grew up, you know, skiing over 100 days a year and that was my life. But Ooh, wow. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, I miss it for sure. And I love it. And, uh, you know, it, I'll get to the stage where I'm back on snow a lot. Well, you're always welcome back on snow. Yeah. So you said you didn't uh, you didn't race. Um, I mean, you said racing wasn't you really your thing on a bike. Do you remember your first race and what? Why did you do it? Like, what got you to the starting line the first time? Yeah, I said. Uh, I mean, it wasn't. Uh, uh, I didn't race a ton, but I definitely had some bike races when I was younger. And uh, my first bike race was when I was eight, um, and. Yeah, my dad was was like, "Oh, we should try this out." Um, there, there's this local series in Washington, and I was the only kid doing it, just racing with a bunch of dude, old dudes, um, and and yeah, we we did it because we used to ride mountain bikes uh, in the summers, and uh, and he was trying to keep me busy, and and yeah, I, I remember being uh, 
being so stoked after the finish. I thought it, I thought it was so cool. And uh, I also thought it was really cool to be racing against old dudes and not not old dudes, but just older dudes at the time. Um, and uh, I mean, at eight, 25 is an old dude, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, everyone was just so uh, so supportive and encouraging of me, um, especially because I was one of the only kids coming from the area. Um, and, and that was really cool. I, I really felt like I had uh, a community behind me when I was younger, whenever I wanted to get on the bike. Um, and even though I didn't have uh, juniors my age, um, I had a lot of older guys that were, were uh, supporting me and, and rubbing elbows with me when I was younger. So that was super cool. So when did you get fast? When did you, when did you know you were fast and start taking things seriously? Uh, so after high school, um, I knew that I, I wanted to, to have a shot at pro cycling. And, um, the, you know, the one thing for my parents was okay, but you got to get a, an education. You got to go to school. You need a backup plan, buddy. <laughs> um, so I, that, that, that's fair. Yeah, exactly. Fair. So I chose a school where I could keep racing, but also get an, an education. And that happened to be Fort Lewis college in Durango. Um, and that was a huge turning point for me when I moved to Durango, Colorado. Um, I'm still there off and on throughout the year. And uh, that was where I really found uh, my people and and people my age that were pursuing cycling as well, people to train with and and just, a, a, you know, a, an amazing cycling town. Um, and that's where I saw like, okay, th this, this pro cycling thing, it, it could actually happen. And, um, and I, I raced four years on their collegiate team. And then uh, that really set me up to, to tackle uh, the pro circuit and, and be ready for what was ahead. At 25, um, I'm thinking you're a little younger than uh, like Payson. Payson went to Fort Lewis and yep. Sepp yep. was there. Did you run into those guys? Did you uh, get to know them in college? Oh yeah, well Sepp actually went to Boulder. Um, and then oh, yeah. Payson, okay. Payson graduated just just before I moved there, but uh, but I've known Payson really well, and uh, and yeah, that that whole community is is very well uh, well connected. So it's it's pretty funny. I mean, you move there, and all of a sudden, all those all of your idols become your friends, and you you start going on rides with them, and and uh, yeah, it, it felt surreal at first, and and now I'm just super thankful for it. Now you're one of the kids that people look forward to riding with. <laughs> oh, I rode with Cole today. Oh, wow, that was awesome. It's cool. It's cool to see, you know, all, all the, the younger kids chomping at the bit and, and working hard and trying to make it happen. So I, I love riding with them too. Is there a good future in the, uh, at Fort Lewis College of oh, young yeah. kids coming into the sport? There, there's no lack of it. Every year there's so much talent coming through that team. So it's, it's pretty special. That's very cool. Did you know Sep? Yeah, yeah, Sep, Sep's a legend. Pretty cool last couple weeks he's had, huh? Oh my gosh, I've been glued to the TV every morning. Yeah, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Such such a time in American cycling and uh, couldn't happen to a better dude. I mean, he's he he's the most genuine guy out there. So I'm, I'm so stoked for him. Uh, he seems super genuine. And, and I've been saying on this, podcast about road cycling that we need another hero 
Yeah. Maybe we found one. We did. He's he is. He's it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. He's such seems like such a nice guy. Um and uh the Vuelta a España is relevant yeah, in America now. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's get back to uh to where you're at today, which is racing the Lifetime Grand Prix. <laughs> um all right, so Lifetime Grand Prix shows up. Um, you're a mountain biker. I'm kind of curious why you didn't pursue the World Cup route on the mountain bike. Um, mm-hmm. I know you have a certain someone special who is living in Europe this summer, um, racing on a uh, French team, doing the, the whole World Cup thing, and in fact uh, just got fifth at um, Leger. Yep. Where yep. was where was that? Yeah, in France, which is awesome. Yep, uh, which is super awesome. Sevilla, Sevilla Blanc. Yep. Uh, you you, I feel like it would be natural for you to like put together some World Cup points and then go travel the world with Sevilla and do the World Cup thing. But you're here in the states chasing the lifetime Grand Prix, and um, I don't know doing the longer mountain bikey things. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to the Lifetime Grand Prix. Why why choose that route instead of the World Cup route? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I actually did pursue the World Cup for, for quite a while, um, all through juniors and U23s. Uh, Sevilla and I were racing together and, and uh, trying to make it happen over there. And um, I had a year with Giant uh, chasing a, a full uh, European World Cup calendar in 2019. Um, and then, yeah, and then COVID hit and, um, it w- it was really hard for me to find opportunity to get over to Europe, stay there and race full time. Um, I didn't have any exceptional results on the world cups. My, I think my best result was a 11th in Lenzerheide as a U23. Um, so I had a few top 15s, but, but nothing, um, phenomenal like Sevilla um, and there there just seemed to be way more professional opportunities in cycling for me um, doing these longer endurance events and uh, I, after COVID I was out of contract uh, so was Sevilla and at the time um, Orange Seal picked up both of us um, super late in the year and we, we almost didn't think that we were going to keep racing um, but but they saw uh, a lot of potential in us, which I'm forever grateful for. And um, uh, John the uh, Fargus, the who runs the show there, he he really introduced me to um, what these endurance races are. And he said, "Hey, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity. It's it's a lot different um, than what you're used to, but I know that you have the engine to do it, and um, and I, I want to give you." the opportunity to go out and, and try it so uh it's it's been a long time for me trying these events the the first year or two uh i just, i struggled really hard and, and just got my teeth kicked in at, at a lot of these events um switching my physiology to be a long endurance athlete was a lot different um but he was absolutely right and there were a lot more opportunities for me and um with the timing of the Grand Prix coming out, uh, it, it was huge. And now, um, now I have my own privateer program 
and all of my sponsors are interested in this lifetime grand prix and this uh you know new american wave of mass participation events which are so popular um and it's kind of like the timing was perfect for me um so so yeah uh long story um it just kind of worked out and that's that's where i ended up and that's where i have all of my opportunities now and uh i'm super thankful for for it when you say he saw some potential in you doing these longer events was he talking specifically gravel or longer mountain bike events like a a leadville or a marathon like schwamigan um both i mean at the time it was it was a really hard sell for me uh to go to gravel because i didn't want anything to do with it of course being a a cross-country mountain biker um but yeah, both. Uh, and, you know, the, the main thing was just getting out to these mass participation events because that's where that's where uh, things are booming right now. And that's that's where there's the attention in American cycling. Um, and so so, yeah, it, it had to do with gravel and also the Leadvilles and the Schwamigans and even Iceman. Like, when did you get your teeth kicked in? What kind of races were you getting your teeth kicked in in the early days? Was it long gravel events? <laughs> yeah, yeah, gravel. I remember my first gravel race was BWR San Diego, and uh, I died a million deaths out there. And, I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, I even at Unbound this year, I died a million deaths. So it's like, it, it's all these gravel races, SBT gravel. You know, the, the longer and the flatter they are, the harder they are for me. Um, and... And yeah, it was, you know, at that time, the longest I'd ever raced was an hour and a half. And then all of a sudden I'm getting thrown into a six hour race. And my longest rides at that point were maybe five hours or so. So it was a big, it was a big change. You had to get out and do some long, yeah, slow rides. Oh yeah. Coffee shop rides, <laughs> pizza in the middle of the ride rides. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it looks like, and I'm looking at results here of, um, Lifetime, uh, which I should go through. The Lifetime races begin in April with the Sea Otter, which is a mountain bike race. That's a long mountain bike race, too. I mean, yeah. the Sea Otter, it's not a, a two-hour mountain bike race. It's almost 70 miles. Is that right? Yeah, it was four hours this year. Yeah, that's, I mean, in April, that's got to be a long ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Crusher and the Tusher in Utah. Unbound, which is the 200-mile, whew. Uh, Leadville, which is 100 miles of mountain biking. Uh, Schwamigan, which is the 40 miler. Uh, the Rad is a new one in Trinidad, Colorado. Have you ever done the Rad before? No, this will be my first time. It's been there, but it hasn't been part of the series. Mm -hmm. This will be your first time? Yep. And then culminating at Big Sugar in Arkansas in October, which is a round, I think that's right at 100 mile. The Rad is 110, so a lot of them are in the 100 mile range. Mm -hmm. Um, and it looks like based on your results that, um, I don't know, uh, Crusher, Leadville, Sea Otter, um, you've like, those are your consistent best finishes. What is it about those races that you do well in versus like you said, unbound where you get your yeah <laughs> teeth kicked in a little bit? Um, I think, you know, the more technical the race is, the better it is for me, uh, just because of my skill set and background in mountain biking. And then also I'm a climber. So 
uh, the courses that have the long climbs or the punches or any sort of elevation gain, that's where I usually thrive. Um, it's taken me some time to figure out tactics and group dynamics in these flat, long gravel races. And, and that's where I struggle is just kind of like the long, slow grind on the flats. Um, that, that's where, what I've been working on a lot lately in training. Um, but I think as far as my skill set goes and, and my abilities, I, I prefer going uphill or, or having a technical course. Well, I don't know how technical it is. I've always told people that Leadville is like 97% freaking gravel road and 3% technical, but the 3% will ruin your day potentially. So it's not a super technical, but there's a little bit of uphill at Leadville. <laughs> Just a bit. Had you done it before the lifetime? Uh, no, last year was my first year. What'd you think? What's your, what's your Leadville impression? Oh, it's a legendary event. Um, yeah, I think after last year, it was, it, it just became like the goal for me. It's like, I want to go back and I want to win Leadville at some point in my career because it's, it's iconic. I mean, it's one of, it's one of the only races where your time means something and anyone that's raced Leadville, you know, knows if you have a good time there or not. And, uh, and that just kind of really speaks to its history and, uh, and, and how people value it. it um, it's, it's such a challenge for you know, any racer, if it's, if it's the pros or if it's just someone going there to, to cross the finish line. Um, and, and it's such a challenge with, with the extreme altitude. I mean, the, the average, I think, altitude you race at is like over 10,000 feet and the highest point on on the course is at 12,400 feet and if you haven't raced at elevation there's just no way you understand how hard that is until you get there and if you have then then you know it's it's insane like walking up stairs at Leadville is hard it is <laughs> let alone uh, <laughs> racing your bike um, so it's, it's pretty cool. It, it's iconic and, uh, there's a lot of, of rich history there and, um, and I love it. So, yeah. I have to ask like, whew, how are you going to win Leadville? <laughs> uh, Keegan's got to retire. Holy, <laughs> holy crap. Was yeah. it five, right around 545, 543. Was that his final time? Yeah. 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 543. So Yeah. Keegan broke the record this year, which was absolutely phenomenal. One of the most incredible performances. And yeah, I, I mean, it was a historic ride there. So um, cool to be there the year that he broke it. But uh, as a competitor, it's definitely like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Where were you, like, how, how did you play in that game? Like, what was your experience in in that day yeah i mean a, a race at that elevation it's so much about um j just riding within your limits and so unlike a race like schwamigan where you're looking around rubbing elbows um it's one of those races where you just have to be so focused on not going over your red line and you know not following accelerations or dumb moves um so i just paced it super well rode really consistent 
and uh, we had a really good battle for second. Um, I ended up falling off towards the end and uh, rode in for fourth, but um, I, I feel like I executed my race plan perfectly and kept it within myself, pushed it really hard on all the downhills, um, maybe a little bit too hard towards the end because I punctured and um, that cost me some time for sure. But uh, that's just part of racing is, is um, yeah, taking risks or, or not. <laughs> and um, right. yeah, yeah, I was really happy with it. I was 10 minutes faster than last year. So that was, uh, that was a victory for me. That's awesome. What was your time? Uh, 6.09. 6.09. I, um, I did Leadville, I don't know, 2002 or three or somewhere in there. And then uh, my wife and I did it on tandem. Uh, four times in the OOs, a variety of years. And in those years, it was the uh, Dave Weens, Floyd Landis, Lance Armstrong era. Yep. And one of those years, uh, Dave and Lance broke seven hours for the first time. And it was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And now you are, I don't know, well, you didn't win. (laughs) Probably like, dang nabbit, like, and you came in six, what'd you say, 603, 608? 609, yeah. 609, which is, I mean, you would have been an hour ahead of Weens and Armstrong who set the record themselves. Like, that's how fast you guys are going. What is the freaking potential there? Like, are we talking road bikes in the future? Like, how fast can Leadville go? It, it was so fast this year. It was amazing. And yeah, I, I don't know because it just keeps getting faster and the level keeps getting higher and the preparation for that event keeps becoming more important. Um, I mean, this year for, for a lot of that field, that was their A event all year long. Um, for me, it certainly was. For Keegan, it was. Um, I'm sure for Alexi and Howard, um, and so, so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how much faster it can get. It'll be exciting to see over the next few years. But um, as far as equipment goes, I, I think that, that uh, we are all in a very similar setup, and I think it's the fastest, which is um, a hardtail mountain bike. Uh, and I ran 2.4 tires. Um, I, I don't think that a road bike or gravel bike would be much faster there but but who knows i mean there there were a lot of little things that uh riders were doing to get aerodynamic gains um you know narrower bars i cut my bars down to 680 and you know i had bar tape on the on my bars so i could grab in really narrow on all the flat sections and get down on my forearms kind of in an arrow position arrow gloves arrow socks arrow helmet skin suits um, you know, all that, those little things add up for sure, especially when you're racing over six hours and you have a lot of high speed flat sections. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I say no on the road bike or gravel bike or drop bars. I, I was being a little facetious there, <laughs> although, uh, Stetna used drop bars at, uh, Schwamigan, which kind of surprised. I feel like that's pretty rocky Oh yeah, for, for, uh, drop bars, but. I don't know. Never know. Maybe they'll show up in Leadville. Yeah, it's all preference. They did. They showed up in Leadville this year, and that's that's why I say it. Um, at, at a lot of these races, we're seeing a lot different setups. 
um, which, which is really cool because it, it is kind of like, I don't know if it'd be faster. It might be, but we'll see. Um, and for some riders like Stetna, it could be faster because he's used to that position and he's most confident um, in a drop bar um, position. But uh, yeah, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm at home on my flat bars. So we've got uh, two more races left in the Lifetime Grand Prix. We've got the Rad and then Big Sugar. Five races count. You've done your five. Are you still pushing to erase that 19 from Unbound? <laughs> yeah, that's the goal. I'm hoping that Unbound's my drop, so I better perform better than 19th at these next two races. Um, but yeah, it's such a such a long series, and um, you know the the events are spaced out almost a month in between, so. Uh, my approach this season has been all in for the Grand Prix, so I've dedicated my whole season around it. Um, so definitely gunning for those next two and hoping to to land some some good results and hopefully secure a really high place in the overall. How do you manage everything from a 200-mile gravel race in the Flint Hills of Kansas to a 40-mile punchy muddy mountain bike race through the Berkeybiner Trail in northern Wisconsin. Like, how do you prepare your body to be top-notch at everything in between? Yeah, it's it's the greatest challenge. I mean, that that's another thing that is so cool about racing this Grand Prix. It's like each event you're training differently for. Um, and, and so, yeah, I work really closely with my coach and analyzing, you know, each race and how we're going to change up training. And, you know, as soon as we finish one race, it's like a total shift. You know, a lot of times it's a different bike and uh, a, a totally different um, structure of training for the next event. And so it's kind of like these these periods of training that are all specific for each event, um, which which is unlike, I, I, I would say, kind of any other discipline. You know, if you're, if you're racing on the road or if you're racing World Cup mountain bike or cyclocross, it's kind of the same thing over and over again for every event. Um, but this, this Grand Prix, it's this new thing. And uh, for me, it keeps it really interesting. It really mixes up the, the process and the training, which has been really fun. It actually is super interesting. If you compared it to a runner, it would be maybe everything from the the 5k to an ultra marathon yeah and and being able to be good at both of those and everything in between and nobody's like people are like okay i'm done doing the 5k now i'm going to do the half marathon now i'm going to focus on marathons and then yeah then you yeah, can it's... go to the ultra but it's like you're doing all of that yeah yeah absolutely and uh it, it takes a lot of a, a wide skill set too because you have you know really technical mountain bike races where you need to hone your skills and then you have really tactical races like unbound where um you know if you have road experience it it pays huge dividends um so yeah it, it's really fun it's it's this really cool crossing of all these different disciplines all right so let's give a little shout out speaking of all the different disciplines and the fact that you're using different bikes at different ones, but um, tell me your bike specs. What what are you riding at a race like? Uh, well, a mountain bike race. One of the mountain bike races: Sea Otter, Schwamigan, Leadville. 
Mm -hmm. uh, what's your kind of go-to setup on the mountain bike and then switch it over to gravel. What are you riding on the gravel? Yeah, so I, I'm riding on Giant. And uh, for all the mountain bike races this year, I've been on their XTC hardtail frame. Um, it, it's been a toss-up at a few between my full suspension, my Anthem. But uh, I just feel really confident on the hardtail, and it's really fast. So I, I love using it, um, especially for like Schwamigan. It's super stiff, so up all the punches, it's really light. Uh, I use 2.4 Kenda Rush tires. I've actually raced those tires at every mountain bike race. Um, haven't changed at all. And I like the higher volume tires because I feel like they have more grip and on a hardtail, it's kind of like your suspension. Um, right. My gravel bike is their new Giant Revolt, um, which has been phenomenal for me this year. It's uh, really comfortable and compliant. Um, it's one of the gravel bikes that can fit up to a 50, uh, 50C tire, so it has tons of clearance, and um, I've really actually been leaning towards the wider gravel tires. Um, the last few races I've done, I've been using 45s, and uh, yeah, like I said, with the hardtail, your, your tires are your suspension, and that goes for, for gravel biking too, so um, lot, really low pressure. I'm, I'm known to to run super low pressure and um, I use inserts quite a bit too um, both on the gravel and the hmm. mountain bike um, but yeah that, that's my that's my setup so speaking of inserts and low tire pressure you've been an orange seal guy for a few years here when has orange seal saved your life <laughs> today <laughs> yeah like today <laughs> yeah, literally today I punctured, I was pre-riding and way out on course and it sealed up. I mean, it's like, yeah, it, it's constant. And, uh, you know, as long as I have tire plugs with me, like I know I'm going to be safe because I've got sealant. I've got the best sealant. Um, and, and in many races too, Leadville, uh, I would say was a, was a bigger save for sure because I punctured and it sealed up. Uh, I had to put more air in it. I didn't even have to plug it. Um, but, but yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the hero that we never see. I love it. I have to admit I'm like an old guy. And uh, we've got, I think the last time I counted, we have 12 bikes hanging out our garage or our basement, which obviously all need tender loving care throughout the year. <laughs> And man, I just can't go to um, Tubeless because I don't know, just taking care of them. So old curmudgeon guy, but um, but I don't know. Talk me into Orange Seal. Talk me into going um, Tubeless. Yeah, I mean, I don't even ride with a tube. It's it's crazy. the The holes that I plug are can be huge. They can even be you know slices in your sidewall. I go to like Walmart and I get car tire plugs. And as long as you have sealant, you can rip off tire plugs and you can plug anything. So it, it's kind of, it, it's just like, it, it makes you almost invincible to punctures. And um, yeah, the, the amount, the, the volume that I'm riding, I, there's there's no way I, I could ride without sealant. Um, I, I would be puncturing all the time. and. A lot of times I'll pull my uh, my tires out and you'll see, you know, 
so so many slices or punctures in your tire that that have been sealed without you even knowing um and and so it just it just goes to show that that it's doing its job and um like today i had a i have a new tire on um pinch flatted it i put you know i had to plug the bead and i had to plug the top of the tread um but i'll ride that tire until there's no tread left i mean as long as you plug it and you have sealant then then you're good you don't you don't have to go buy a new tire wow um so so yeah it's it's uh it's a game changer for me huh actually pretty convincing i might have <laughs> to ride with you and you show me how to do all that stuff I'm going to yeah. need a sidewall cut. I'm going to need a thorn through both sides, a pinch flat. I'm going to need all that stuff for you to show me how to fix. And then, I don't know. So, I mean, that's a compelling argument right there. I appreciate that. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah, of course. I mean, in, in the races that I'm doing, it's like that, that's the difference between being in it at the finish or not, um, especially in gravel. It's it's very common for, for people to be plugging tires during the race. And, it, it you know. A lot of times they'll go on to win the race many many times um so so yeah it, it keeps you it keeps you going uh very cool so uh back to lifetime two more races you're sitting in second but there's a whole bunch of you like packed in tight up there second third fourth fifth you got it in you you taking this oh yeah that's the goal i i don't i'm not <laughs> even asking if you're gonna win the thing because holy moly could anyone even win that yet? No. I mean, could anyone dethrone Keegan right no, now? No, no. Keegan locked up. Yeah, he locked up the overall. So yeah, he, he can relax these next couple rounds, <laughs> which he deserves to. <laughs> Is he even racing? Uh, I don't think he's racing the sixth round, but he's gonna. he has to come to Big Sugar because another requirement is you have to start the last race. Ah, uh, dig it. Well, he was at Big Sugar last year, and the question was, was he going to race it or – just go for a coffee ride and he sure raced it oh yeah so yeah it would pin a number on and we all go don't we yeah it wouldn't be like him to, to go for a coffee ride <laughs> yeah for sure so can you hold off the uh the chasers who's behind you it's uh, uh alexi lachlan lachlan man i don't know how he did schwamigan yeah stetna finsterwald like can you keep all those guys off your back? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a super competitive field. Um, there's so much talent in it, um, but uh, but yeah, I think if I if I just stay really focused on my process um, and and really focused on what I need to do from from here until then and what I need to execute in training, then then I think I'm in the position to to maintain that and 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 hold those guys off. That's awesome. Do you enjoy this race series? Yeah, it's it's been huge. Um, I'm I'm so so thankful for for being a part of it, and uh, I feel like we're we're really kind of uh, I don't know pioneering this new era of uh, of off road racing, and it, it feels it feels really special to be part of it. Um, you know, we've we've never seen a series like this. And um, at the same time, we have so much attention on it, um, and yeah, it's it's really cool, and I'm I'm super stoked to to be a part of it. Well, um, having watched U.S. racing for a thousand years or so, it's great to see the focus on like a decidedly U.S. series that people are interested in and taking seriously, and the media is paying attention mm -hmm. to. 
enough so that guys like you can go to Giant and can go to Orange Seal and um, say, hey, support me in this venture and help me get around the country and, and uh, help me kind of eat in between. And, uh, you know, I will show your wares at this race series. And it's important enough to Giant, et cetera, mm-hmm. to, um, to be able to help you. And I think that's quite important now. I say, as we head into the cyclocross season. Yeah. And that was an editorial comment. by David. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, it is absolutely important. Dig it. Well, listen, man, I, I, it's a delight to meet you. I enjoyed, uh, being able to chat for three and a half seconds at Schwam again. Um, I don't know if you know, but that's where Sevilla and I met, um, uh, it was kind of funny. I remember telling her last year was just freaking brutal with the rain. Yeah. And I know we left you guys with just a freaking muddy mess for at least half of that course. Um, we, we churned it up for you and you're welcome for that. Oh, it was awesome. Appreciate it. <laughs> but I was talking to Rose Grant after the race and I was like, Rose, I've been coming for 20 years and that is the worst conditions, the hardest schwamigan I've ever done. And Sevilla just was standing there next to us and her eyes just went wide open and like, oh my gosh, really? I'm like, yeah, Sevilla, you just won like the hardest Schwamigan <laughs> ever. And I know that's recency bias, but holy moly, last year was a hard year. Um, so that's how I met Sevilla was at Schwamigan. So it was kind of fun to meet you there as well. And uh, so kind of you to jump on the pod with me. I totally yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. So one, one last question. If you could choose anybody, dead or alive, to go for a ride with, who would that be? Yeah, it's a pretty easy one for me. Um, Sevilla is like my number one ride buddy, and uh, we, yeah, at a boy. Also, I can't answer anyone else, you know. <laughs> no, you um, cannot. Whose podcast were you on? Was it Ted King or Boswell? Uh, breakfast, breakfast with Boz? Yeah, maybe. Somebody had you on their podcast and asked you that question, and you're like, <laughs> you're thinking, and I was like, dude, you gotta say don't it. think yeah, about right. it. It's Sevilla, that's an easy question. Like, that's, come yeah. on, man. It, so. it is true, though. Um, like, yeah, we, that that's how we really hit it off, was riding together, and um, and yeah, she she's, she's amazing to ride with. I don't get to ride with her a whole lot now. Um, she spends a ton of time in Europe. So, uh, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to being back together and going for some rides together. She's, I convinced her to come race, uh, little sugar, which is before big sugar in Arkansas with me. Um, so she'll make a, a, a lifetime debut there this year. Um, which, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, is she back in the States? Yeah, she is. She's, uh, in California preparing, uh, for snowshoe so she she kicks it back on oh, next right. week um they have snowshoe and then the week after that mount st Anne. so watch out for those awesome and then you guys get to hang together yeah yeah awesome is there a youtube episode in the, our future yeah yeah I, actually we were just talking about it today so um i think we'll we'll do a video when we're in arkansas and uh finally she'll be back awesome. on the channel it'll be good awesome yep I love it. I love it. 
Well, thanks, man. Good luck this weekend at uh, Marathon Nationals, and good luck at, um, so I assume you're doing Little Sugar? Yep. Gosh, you got a full calendar coming up. I know. Little Sugar, Big Sugar, uh, Nationals, the Rad. Like, do you sleep? <laughs> I try to, but uh, yeah, it's packed. My, <laughs> my life's uh, on a spreadsheet. It's a lot of logistics, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have it any other way. It's It's awesome. Yeah, well, you're doing awesome, and uh, looks like you're having fun, and you're certainly doing well. So kudos. Good luck the rest of the season, and um, we'll see you somewhere along the way. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. Appreciate it. I am super thankful to Cole for joining me today. Not only is he fast, but geez, what a great guy. Sevilla, if you're listening, Cole wants to go for a bike ride with you. Now, I'd like to wish him luck as he finishes out his long season and winds up for a well-earned rest. Maybe he'll click into a pair of skis this winter and shred some deep pow and get pitted, so pitted, like that. I hope you got that. Anyway, be sure to give him a follow on Instagram. Just look for Cole Patton. Now, I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's show, I would love it if you would rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. And now we are on YouTube. Every episode from here on out will be published to YouTube. So if you take your content that way, rock on. Look for Bike Talk with Dave channel on YouTube. Now, if you really love the show and you want to be a part of its continued growth, feel free to support it financially. Just look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. And when you do, I would love to send you a sticker. And finally, be sure and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We've got some great episodes coming up. Jake Cooperman, a cycling-inspired artist. Emily Newsom to talk about women's racing and many, many other things. Plus, Pete Stetna, the privateer pioneer, and later this fall the Hall of Fame mountain biker, Dave Weens. Like I said, you don't want to miss a thing. So we'll see you next week. And remember that nothing compares to the simple pleasure of riding a bicycle. <laughs>